0: For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand.
1: Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just 9 dollars each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
2: Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. I'm Mel.
1: I'm Helen. I'm Janet.
3: And I'm Simu. <laughs>
1: You may know
4: him as Jung Kim from the Netflix show Kim's Convenience or as our next Asian superhero in Marvel's Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings.
3: Uh, yappy? <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, Bro, see, he.
2: Phil's here. Phil's here. As
3: you can see, <laughs> Phil is here. He's making wow. his presence known to all of us. I
2: was going
3: to be I'm, I'm well, uh, Phil's doing a little <laughs> tangent in the background. Okay. I'm sorry for Let's continue.
4: Listening. Should I redo this? This no, no. is the next no, line. No, this is
3: great. We have to keep <laughs> right. it because the world needs to see. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's keep that in. Spills true colors.
4: <laughs> but we know him as Simu Liu, an ABB from the North, A.K. Toronto, and actually a former Yappie. Simu was like one of us. He worked a nine-to-five corporate job at a big four firm as an accountant. Deloitte. And- Yes, it was at Deloitte. I know. I, I named <laughs> it.
3: I named it in an interview a while back, and I was like, I don't know if I should have done that, but now it's out there. Has so anyone ever actually knows.
4: reached out to you about that? From Deloitte? Yeah, from Deloitte. No,
3: but the funniest thing is somebody from the Chartered Professional Accountants Association reached out and was yeah, like, yeah. and was like, "Hey, uh, would you like to do an interview for a magazine?" And I and I was wow. kind of like, I was really taken aback because I was like, "Have you read anything that I've said about my career yeah. as an accountant?" <laughs> <laughs> it's basically like all misery for me.
4: So we are sitting with Simu right now in a place that someone has put you up in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, are you, what are you doing in L.A.? Why don't you just explain for our listeners what uh, you're doing in L.A.?
3: Well, um, you know, we're we're preparing to shoot a movie right now. You may or may not have heard uh, what it, what it is, but um, there is, you know, a certain training component that it naturally will come with <laughs> films like this and uh, so I'm in LA I'm I'm, you know doing a lot of uh, preparing and just making sure that uh, physically I'm where I need to be when we when we roll the camera
2: question why can't you train in Toronto instead of LA
3: I actually was training in Mm. Toronto they found me an amazing wushu coach there by the name of Alan Tang who's great and and very involved in the stunt community up there but uh, at some point we did have to get me closer so our stunt coordinator Brad Allen is here and um, it, it's just good to be a little bit closer to kind of where those decisions are made and um, and to be closer to the, to the production office in general.
1: So maybe before we dive more deeply into all this exciting stuff that's happening now, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about your upbringing yeah. and where you grew up, where you were born, mm-hmm, and what your family mm-hmm. dynamic was like. Sure. We're going deep. Real fast. We're going real (laughs) deep. Okay,
3: now I understand. Uh, Where to to begin? So I was born in Harbin, China. For those of you who don't know, that's in the Dongbei region, or the northeast. My parents, less than a year after I was born, left for Canada, Mm -hmm. because they had gotten into grad school programs there. It would have been really difficult, I think, to raise a child and do, like, a full course load at the same time, so they left me in the care of my grandparents, and Mm -hmm. so I was... Raised by my grandparents until I was about five, mm. and then mm. my dad came back and uh, picked me up. Oh. So that's that's a little bit about where I came from, and then I grew up in the little backwater of Toronto, Ontario. Mm. It's not a backwater. It's the fourth largest city in North America, yeah. so you know. <laughs> it seemed like a happy ending because, you know, it was, it, it was the idea that my family was spread apart and then came back together but I think as with so many people that are raised in in third culture families especially when you know my parents weren't there for my formative years there was just a lot of conflict but yeah eventually ended up going to business school doing the right thing or what I thought was the right thing to to kind of make them happy and for me too I mean I thought like that was what I had to do that was definitely my prescribed notion of like what success was and then Ended up uh, at Deloitte, my favorite company in the world.
1: And Janet's Janet Deloitte alumni. I still get the emails, the alumni emails. Do you get?
3: (laughs) No, I don't think so. No, because I was laid off too. Yeah, so it's not like
4: he's on a different list. (laughs) It was so not, not how email you said.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't what I would call an honorable discharge. Uh,
4: so. When were you laid off? I'm, I want to ask a lot of questions about like China and also your upbringing, but for I'm sure curious about the la- latest thing you said. No,
3: for sure. Yeah, no. I was laid off uh, April twelfth,
5: twenty twelve, at three thirty p.m. Oh, oh my wow. god! I remember the exact. Yeah,
3: yeah, because I remember the calendar. I like had a, a meeting pop up in my in my Outlook. Yeah. Oh my god, my Outlook calendar, and, <laughs> I I was, still have and that, it was yeah. with the managing partner. Mm. And so I was like, huh, that's very interesting, and and I kind of talked to some people. People about it, but of course nobody else knew. So they were just like, "Oh yeah, he probably just wants to like wish you luck on your next study break oh. or whatever." And. Uh so, you know, go up to the office and all, of, and, and then I see, like, this very kind of proper-looking woman, mm-hmm. postured, like, pantsuit. He introduces her as the woman from HR. And I'm like,
5: mm. oh, shit. oh,
3: I see. The rest of that meeting just kind of was so surreal. It probably lasted, like, 15 minutes. It was just like, yeah, you're going to get 10 minutes to kind of collect your things. Wait, and then we what did want you, you do. To...
1: Yeah, what was the reason? Well, you, you that? were a staff? One or two?
3: I was staff one. And um, what I did was, I mean, I didn't...
5: You had to do thing. something like
3: bad. <laughs> No, it was it was like uh they were making cuts so there were I was not the only person let go that day. Oh, oh. so it was a headcount reduction. It was a headcount reduction, but at the same time it was like I was probably like at the top of the list. I was yeah. just like
2: is that bad? I mean, I'm not yeah, familiar, like, I'm not familiar was... with the finance like a culture so of,
3: uh, man it, it, this is actually the first time i'm getting to really talk about it because but we're from,
5: because, because you guys
3: yeah, are yeah, from, you know, like we're we're from that world we know.
4: and i know that as a staff one all you're doing is like your work like you, right, right, you can right, ask right. really what, yeah. dumb
1: questions it's really hard to get fired as a staff one Maybe you, <laughs> well, okay you weren't billing hours that's usually how they count right right so yeah. okay so
3: here's okay so a number of things let me just start from <laughs> yeah to try okay so I had a terrible busy season. So basically the uh, client that I got staffed on was like an insurance. So we, I worked in like the, whatever, the financial sector. So yeah. I worked on Bay Street, FSO, which okay. is like oh, yeah, kind of like Wall Street, but in Toronto. Okay. And I was staffed on this insurance company where I was the only A1. Mm,
5: and oh, everybody
3: right. else was A2 or above. And Ooh. so all of my friends and my like, people in my cohort were like on this big bank where there were, like, 10 or 12 first years, where they were all kind of, like, in it together. Oh, right. They're they were were together. All, oh, so you were really yeah. yeah. like alone. I was completely yeah. alone. I felt like I couldn't ask anybody any questions. We were, like, stuffed into, like, just such a tiny room. Oh, it yeah. was, like, every day in this, yeah. like, windowless room. They it was always like put the auditors the in the worst room. The <laughs> absolute worst. So I was already, like, not in a great position. And then, like, there's the mental component of just knowing that you're not meant for this job, mm. right? I was, like, I was, like, a very creative person. I loved brainstorming new solutions to things, and I loved just graphic design, you know, like, just things that are a little artsier. And obviously, the one thing that you're supposed to do as an accountant, like, your one job... Is to figure out what they did in the last year and replicate, yeah, the exact same thing. That
4: all sounds so templates. fun. Yeah. Templates, templates, ticking and tying. For yeah. those
2: who are not in finance,
1: like myself, what does A1 A the, one mean?
2: Besides like the, besides the steak first, sauce, you know, like a. Fir-
5: <laughs> it's like a
3: first year of first okay, gotcha, year account. Make sure,
1: Simi. When did you know that? Like you didn't want to be there.
3: <laughs>
1: Was it like a uh, day two? Was it like month one after busy season? Or
3: that's a good question. I I feel like probably. Before busy season, I was still kind of trying to make it work, mm. and then definitely when January hit, I was like, "Oh, geez, this is this is what it's going to be." Yeah. yeah. So the other part of that is I I failed my first CKE. I don't know what you guys call it in CPA. In...
4: Oh, oh, okay, like yeah. a Certified Public Accountant. That's what. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so do. so you know how
3: there's three exams over the three years. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so our first one in Canada is called the Core Knowledge Exam, oh, okay. which is like a hundred question multiple choice, covers like everything from from audit to tax yep. and it's a pretty high pass rate it's like a 90% pass rate <laughs> lol We're go this. <laughs> hard lol yeah. yeah so uh i didn't pass and was, was that
1: subconsciously on purpose maybe
3: see i've been doing a lot of thinking about that i was like how much of this whole thing is self-sabotage like yeah. even picking mm-hmm. accounting as a career path how much of me knew that that definitely wasn't right mm. honestly i couldn't i couldn't tell you the answer i couldn't you can only connect the dots After. looking back
5: true not yeah. looking
3: forward right so I had that going against me I was a poor performer in busy season and I, I just feel like when that day came April 12th it was a sure thing that I, yeah. if anybody were to get laid off, it would have been me. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, I remember, like, grabbing my things. I remember, like, how dead quiet the office was because the lady was standing behind me. And, like, it was just so obvious what was happening. Yeah. I was, like, closing up my like, laptop. Like,
4: all eyes on like, you. Everyone's all eyes on Were you, me. like, so
2: embarrassed? I
4: oh,
3: yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I went to – I had this one partner who was a good friend of mine and yeah. who had been, like, just, like, a good friend and good mentor. And I kind of, like, went into his office and I broke down. And,
2: I have a question, though, because I feel yeah. like – Deloitte you know talking to you guys it's like a huge deal it's like getting out of college getting Deloitte or getting a top four it's like a you have kind of made it right but then now that you were fired was your first thought to be like what are my parents are gonna think yeah I was gonna
1: ask how to how yeah. was that conversation with them yeah
3: 100 um the conversation with them is that it <laughs> didn't, didn't happen
5: <laughs> oh you didn't like, tell them yeah so what what <laughs> <laughs> dude
3: yeah I mean I, I think this is classic kind of Asian mentality, but it's just like, bad news happens, you like try to keep it in as much as you can. So I, I kept it from my parents as long as I could. What actually ended up giving me away was my dad and I, we don't share bank accounts, but our accounts are linked, mm-hmm. and so he saw a sudden influx into my account, and he was like, "Where did all this money come from? It looks like a severance package." And oh. I was like, and I and I stammered something out. I was like, "Um, the back pay, the bonus, pay to the bonus yeah. or like you know, something happened with the study reimbursements, leave and yeah. reimbursements, blah." blah. Yeah. And uh, I just, like, made up this terrible excuse. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he was already kind of tipped yeah. off. And then and then on top of that, like, it wasn't that I was like, I'm going to be an actor. But I was, I was kind of, like, sitting at home. I was super depressed. And I just, like, wanted to do things that brought me joy. And one of the few things, I was, like, just looking into the whole acting thing. And, mm-hmm. and my goal from the beginning was never, like, I'm going to be in Hollywood. Right. I was just, like, if I could be on, like, a Coca-Cola ad or, like, a commercial or have one line in a movie like i would be so happy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was my mentality so i was like it was always just going to be something that i did i you know had my fun for a little bit while i was transitioning between but like the goal was always to get back into the workforce Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or go to law school or figure out a way Mm -hmm. to get back on asian track yeah Yeah. asian Asian success track track. (laughs) yeah so yeah. what
4: was that like with your, I mean, you eventually your parents found out, right? Mm-hmm.
3: This was really hard on them. And I think it was because it's a tough thing. I was never so stupid that they would, they knew right away that like this wasn't, wouldn't be for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I always showed like academic success, like just enough to keep their hopes alive. And, yeah. and
4: the B minus, even like a minus, yeah. Okay. Yeah,
3: you plus, know, plus, just not, just not a plus. Yeah. 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 And even, like, getting the job at Deloitte, like you mentioned, like, that's a big company. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. And for my parents, I'm sure, you know, they were very happy to tell that to their friends. And mm-hmm. we all know that's a big part of, like, you know, just, like, their monologue. The way the that they, Yeah, yeah. The, the bragging, bragging rights the and, and how they take how, that yep. back home. And, mm-hmm. well, so-and-so's kid was, like, there. Well, right. I had my thing for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what made this ultimate disappointment, like, that much worse, mm-hmm. was that i drawn it out for so long and been on that track and then and then suddenly just been like, I'm in a commercial now and I'm going to model and act and whatever.
1: What was your first gig and the first conversation you had with them?
3: I started like booking a lot of small things, but the one gig that made it impossible for me to hide was a Canadian national commercial for Bell, which is kind of like a Metro PCS or Sprint, okay. whatever, telecom. And it was about to come out. Mm-hmm. And so I was like... Oh, so
4: they didn't even know that you yeah. were acting this whole time. They thought you were going to Deloitte to work... Yeah. Wow. How long Wait, did how, that last for? Yeah.
3: I don't think it lasted that, that long. Maybe like a month. Oh,
4: okay. Okay. Like a month. Oh, you booked something in, in a month? month? Oh, that's great. That's a very yeah, funny.
3: yeah. I got really, I would say it's a combination of luck and like, I always kind of had an affinity for it. I would say in, in business school, one of my strongest suits was was public speaking and, mm. you know, talent will only take you so far, but I think I had a bit of a natural inclination towards Mm-hmm. this sort of thing. Yeah. The complete opposite of being bit. in a room and right, auditing right, things. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Did you have like a moment where you were quote unquote discovered? Like how did, did you have an agent or like what was, were you putting yourself you know, through to audition?
3: I've never been the type to get discovered. I'm gonna, uh, this is a deep cut here, but you remember Hollister, Abercrombie, yes. back in the days where You were not. So, you, were sitting you know in the how, front?
1: but you know how, Eventually. Oh, you auditioned? Did you audition to be So
3: So you know how the, the the mystique around those stores was that, like, anybody, if they were, like, good looking, yeah. yeah, then yeah. they would be discovered shopping. And people oh, would yeah. be like, hey, oh, okay. would yeah, you want to work this. here? And that was like, yeah, ha- yeah. But I knew that I was never going to, that was you never going to happen yeah. to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. You know? Perhaps as an Asian man. Perhaps as mm-hmm. just, like, a, you know, like, an average looking guy. And then, uh, so I, like... Put on a shirt and tie and walked in with a resume mm. and I remember very clearly the manager like looked at me, mm-hmm. sized me up and down, and was like, Eh, yeah.' Wow. <laughs> and then, uh. Go
4: find the, him now. But
3: then, like, <laughs> I got the foot in the door and I got the group interview, and I was like, okay, as long as I'm in here, I'm gonna kill it. Yeah. So I killed my group interview. I got the job, started working at Hollister, transferred to Abercrombie, oh. and then became, like, worked my way up <laughs> to be the shirtless greeter in front of the store.
4: Oh. You know? How did that happen? Cause you had to, like, were you just taking off your shirt in the back room or something?
5: Yeah.
3: Uh, no, it was. In in. Of my room. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's kind of hot in here. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it was like an additional track that you had to apply to, oh, and okay. then, like, head office had to make those decisions. I and then,
2: wow, that's a true. hollister is a huge deal, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: Kind of applying that to, to my acting life, I basically, like, walked into my first agency cold, and I was like, this is who I am. I'm just starting. I have nothing, but I will work my butt off for you, mm-hmm. and and I promise you I will book stuff, and they were like, okay. Mm. And, you know, fast forward to, like, now even, or three years ago, Chris Lee was now my manager will tell you that uh, he first heard of me through a cold email that I sent to him at 2 in the morning because I was like, hey, I'm this Canadian actor and I'm super interested in, you know, going to Hollywood and I have this one Canadian show that nobody's ever heard of called Blood and Water. Would you like to work together? Mm. And that's kind of been my whole MO is, like, take your destiny into your own hands and never, ever wait for someone to hand it to you, you know?
2: That's good. Dang. If I ever on Oprah, she'd be like, that's a tweetable moment. It's a tweetable Remember? moment. <laughs> 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 right? We get a nose.
3: So when I'm 18, 19, I work at the Abercrombie or whatever, whatever. Um, and then I graduate and work at Deloitte for eight months, get laid off. And then within a couple of months, I, yeah, I book a, a national commercial for Bell. And then I get a print ad for a bank. And then I get a speaking role on this show called Nikita. All within, I would say, two, three weeks of each other.
1: What? So three weeks. Yeah. So, what was, were you cold emailing people when you left Deloitte? Like, between that time period and booking those gigs? How did that happen?
3: I was applying to ads on Craigslist. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Scrappy. You were very you were resourceful.
3: Very scrappy. scrappy. I think Scrappy yeah. is like a really. Ancy plays way volleyball. To... And <laughs> You're so Scrappy? Yeah. Yes. Scrappy
2: and all, all physical and. Email forms, but it's that's, crazy because I feel like that when I hear you talk about you're emailing all these like agencies or like these uh-huh, people. Uh-huh. If that, that sounds really familiar, like in college they teach you how to network, Yes. Uh-huh. to email these companies, network your way in, yeah, sure, sure. So it kind of sounds familiar in terms of yeah. that track, right?
3: I would say that's probably my biggest takeaway from B school because I definitely didn't retain any of the financial modeling skills <laughs> that I learned. I definitely don't know how to do a case interview. I can't project for my life. I can't do a discounted cash flow worth. Oh, that's my, my best. You know. I've yeah. <laughs> yeah, very good at that.
2: I'm like zoning out. Oh, Cash flow? Wait, wait, what?
3: Yeah, yeah. Man, in my experience, okay. you're not missing <laughs> that much. I'm
2: happy to be in media. But another question I had for you is that so you talked about how you. But all these things after you were laid off, but were you like, and you had an inkling when, when you were working, but did you kind of dabble into acting as you were working at Deloitte? Because I think a question we get a lot is that, you know, you, you guys are full-time working women.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: How do you guys manage a podcast on top of a full-time job? Sure. Like, how do you explore your passion,
1: you know? Right. do you have, like, a, yeah, other hobbies or ways mm-hmm. to explore? Yeah, yeah. Effort.
3: I mean, it definitely wasn't a clean cut. So I was always kind of very interested in media and film. Going to college, there was always, like, the, there was a stunt team in Toronto called Team Ryuko Hmm. that would like tour the college campuses and they were like these like kung fu badasses Mm -hmm. that would like flip and do crazy tricks and they were also like working stuntmen in the Mm. industry so I like absolutely idolized those people I thought if as an Asian man you Mm -hmm. know it was like if I was ever going to make it in this industry it was going to be some sort of martial arts role Mm -hmm. or like Mm -hmm. I would love to just be a stuntman I would love for a white guy to kick me into a table (laughs) Like, that would be my dream, you know? <laughs> so, after I graduated and I started, I, I definitely, you know, went to the stunt classes. Mm-hmm. Was just like, ooh, this is so fun. Like, it wouldn't it be great one day? But it was a very, very far-fetched dream. And then... I remember one weekend I had a friend of mine who was like helping to coordinate on some indie movie or whatever and he was like, "Do you want to drive like an hour north into the boonies and pretend to be a zombie for a day?" And I was like, "Hell yeah." That's
5: so, cool. so <laughs> yeah.
3: I actually had my like first quote unquote on set experience a lot earlier. Uh. Pretty much like, I think it was yeah, it was like November of the year before I got laid off. So okay. about like, like half a year before. So you
2: were working still as you were? I was late. working. Yes. Yeah, oh, okay, so I took it. a
3: weekend and then, you know, eventually that kind of just opened me up and I would like go on Craigslist every once in a while mm. just to be like, oh, what's what's going on out there? And I didn't really act on it until in March I saw this out on Craigslist for Pacific Rim. Mm. And so that was the first like Hollywood set that I was on. I actually skipped work to be on it and um and Again, then it 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 was got a fired terrib- and <laughs> then got fired so that goes to show you how well i balanced uh, that gotcha. well
1: did did anyone in your office know that you had this like side hobby or that you know when you were out that day where you were
3: i think i i said something about a, a flu or something even though i thought it was just like such a crazy pipe dream mm, like yeah. I, like i thought that if i were to tell people they'd be like what are you doing man like yeah. you failed your exam like you should be studying yeah. you should be mm. you should be locking in just like what are you doing and and fair what was I doing?
4: I think a lot of people can tell you what you should be doing, but I mean it, that's just based off of just what they're used to, right? Yeah, so yeah.
5: Your parents CDs, want, like, yeah.
3: And they can be, you know, the, the, yeah. They can have the best intentions. I still remember that partner, that like that friend of mine whose office I was into, and I was breaking down, and he was like, "Don't worry, we're gonna get you back on your feet. You know, I'm gonna do everything I can to set you up with another job." I mean, that's so, and it's so amazingly nice of him. Mm-hmm. He even like sent me a text message like weeks and weeks and weeks later just to check up and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, how are things going?" And I was like good like I'm thinking of you know tra- I didn't tell him it was acting but I was like you know I'm thinking of maybe going back to law school or transitioning careers and he was like oh that's good but like you know you have such a strong base as an accountant like I would hate to see you throw that away and
1: mm. like a cult yeah. It's interesting that you oh had this yeah. like narrative that you would tell outside people but then internally you were still following like you had a desire strong enough to be continuing to do that. yeah
3: absolutely I think it comes down to how are you going to sleep with yourself at night right yeah. and sometimes you just have an itch hmm And you're like, there's something here. Mm -hmm. And if I don't address this, if I don't, like, put something into this, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. That there's always just that feeling. I don't want to get too much into conversations about fate or destiny. Mm -hmm. There was definitely absolutely that feeling of, like, I couldn't turn away. Even even under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. Even at the risk of disappointing my parents or, you know, sacrificing our relationship. And we had a very strained relationship for a very long Mm -hmm. time you know, obviously after when I first came out, especially during the struggle years when I was taking all sorts of jobs and, like... Yeah.
2: yeah. Wait, I actually want to hear more about this because you mentioned, like, you got all these, like, you got the commercial gig and, like, is it Blood mm-hmm. and blood and Water?
3: Yeah, Blood and Water was, like, my, like, little break, I call it. Got um, it. it happened about two years after I started.
2: Speaking from, like, a financially stable perspective, like, how did you... How are you able to, like, to... Like keep if,
3: afloat?
5: Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. When you're acting.
3: Yeah, ha- so... I'm
2: pretty sure your parents are like, oh, are you making money? Exactly, right? yeah. Severance I had package, to, though. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, <laughs> yeah, so I had a
3: severance package, which I used to get my first set of headshots. Oh, wow. Okay. And then it did keep me afloat when I booked the commercial. I, I mean, commercials pay well. You mm-hmm. know, print stuff pays well. Um, when you actually are acting on a big set, Mm -hmm. and you have speaking lines, you're compensated pretty well as well. So I had, like, that initial success of, like, I think in one month I made, like, 10 or 12 grand. And then I was like, oh, like, that means that I'm going to make, like, $120,000 a year, right? Mm -hmm. And, of course, not what happened. Mm -hmm. Like, months, months, and months, and months passed without me booking anything meaningful. Mm -hmm. So I was, like, doing extra work again. I found this job that I basically dressed up as Spider-Man for children's birthday parties so actually Shang-Chi Whoa, is not the first superhero role that I have played I, not, I have played Spider-Man funny. to many a children's uh, uh, birthdays to their delight
4: were you one of those people out in Hollywood trying to get pictures no god no, no. I've been conned by ways.
3: those people oh really yeah hey, what? yeah
4: The people in Hollywood, they always dress up as characters. Yeah, you know, like, when they're, like, they they go up to you. you.
3: So, I was on Hollywood with my ex. We were just, like, walking down the street, and we were, like, taking a photo next to the Chinese theater Mm because it's a big deal. Yeah. So, so this, like, Spider-Man comes up and is, like, here, give me the phone. He takes the phone from me and then, like, snaps pictures of us, turns around, like, does selfies with him, and then is, like, that'll be $20 for Spider-Man. Wow. So I told him to go f himself, but I I ended up giving him like two dollars just for his <laughs> just for his back. shrewdness. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, well done.
2: I know that existed. So so you did this for you did this for birthday parties.
3: For birthday parties, yeah, yeah. I figured it was a way to still kind of you know act get my reps yeah, as an actor, yeah. just mm-hmm. to kind of just shake off that initial greenness that I think all people have when they're put in front of an audience mm-hmm. or like cameras pointed at them. And yeah. You guys, you guys understand. Like, it's impossible not to notice. Mm-hmm. You know. It just over time, it gets less and less.
2: So besides Spider Man, what else did you? What other jobs did you have?
3: I was a brand ambassador, so I did a lot of like experiential marketing mm-hmm. activations. You know when there's like cars inside malls, and you mm-hmm. had the the reps that would like tell yeah. you the financing oh, you plans, like, and like yes, yeah, wow. so I was that person. I handed out dog food samples on the side of the street, and definitely one of the worst moments for me in my life, was when I was handing out dog food samples, I had an assignment on Bay Street, and, like, I got recognized by one of my former co-workers. <gasps> oh,
5: wow. Oh, yeah. That Shoot. was, like,
3: I would say that was, like, the hardest moment for me, as, like, a, you know, a, a struggling artist or whatever, mm. but just being, like, what is it all for? Like, yeah. mm. these people, it had been, like, a year and a bit, and, like, these people are well on their way, building these amazing careers, like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. I think the takeaway from it is that, you know, you really, and it's gonna sound cliche, but but it's like you really cannot compare your journey to somebody else's it's a different speed and just different priorities Mm -hmm. I'm sure that lots of people listening have felt that sort of existential angst Mm -hmm. when they feel like they're not where they want to be in their Mm -hmm. career or they see like oh my friends are doing these things or Mm -hmm. they're so much further ahead like Mm just gotta we gotta stop thinking like that
4: that's really good advice
3: i do want to yeah. say that's scrappiness i so admire that quality mm-hmm. when i see it in people and, and i try to emulate it as much as i can too but it's just this idea like you might not give me this opportunity but i will find a way
1: yeah where do you think that came from volleyball i'm just kidding volleyball yeah, yeah. <laughs> dive for that opportunity dive
3: ball can't hit the ground um
4: pancake that she it
3: You know, honestly, I think it came from my parents. I don't think I ever remember hearing it directly as a lesson, but just understanding that the process in which they were able to come here to North America was anything but, like, smooth. They were defying so much by leaving, and then by building a life from nothing somehow is nothing short of the embodiment of scrappiness. Mm -hmm. So I think that's definitely where it comes from, subconsciously. ¶¶
1: It's the holiday season and the weather is colder, but running around town from party to party can work up quite a sweat. Luckily, we have Native's festive candy cane scented deodorant, which smells super good, goes on smooth and clear, and doesn't leave residue. Native is a San Francisco-based personal care company that's made a name for itself by offering safe, effective body products at drugstore price points. Their products are aluminum, parabon, sulfate, and talc-free, and filled with natural ingredients like coconut oil, shea butter, and tapioca starch, which absorbs wetness. They never test on animals. They offer a wide variety of scents for both men and women. Their classic deodorant scents include coconut and vanilla, which is their most popular scent, lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, and eucalyptus and mint. They also have unscented options for those with sensitive skin or who simply prefer a fragrance-free Dio. There's no risk to try. They offer free returns and exchanges in the U.S. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code ABG during checkout. Again, that's 20% off your first purchase on nativedeodorant.com, promo code ABG during checkout.
0: Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin.
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. So we've talked a lot about kind of the transition from accounting into acting. Mm-hmm. Take us deeper into your career now. What was kind of like that next milestone?
3: After Blood and Water, which was phenomenal and I had an amazing time on, I got news that they were auditioning for a show called Kim's Convenience, which was a play. It was very successful in Canada about a Korean family that owned a convenience store in, you know, the inner city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I watched the play, and and it was just this beautiful, beautiful slice of life of this Asian family, and it was representing us in a way that I had never seen. I felt seen for for, for the first time and I was very, very excited to get into that process. Ended up booking that role, as you know. It was actually a big summer for me. It was 2016 and I booked Kim's Convenience and I booked this show called Taken with NBC. Shooting in Toronto and it was based on the the movie Mm -hmm. and I was playing like number nine down on the call sheet so I was like the tech guy that was always the computer. But even still, I remember there was a moment where I had to potentially choose which one I had to do. And I remember it being a really hard decision because, A, I was a lot younger and a lot stupider, but, B, I B, my, my thought process was like, what if, you know, this is a great show, but it never leaves Canada? Whereas, at least Taken is, you know, it's going to play in the U.S., it's definitely where I want to go. I always had this dream that I would be in Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was a hard decision. I think I still was always leaning towards Kim's Convenience. But uh, thankfully, I didn't have to make that decision. I was allowed to do both, and it was just this summer of, like, Total sleep deprivation. Where I was going to one set at six in the morning, and then at six PM was getting driven to another set, wrapping a four AM, sleeping an hour and a half, and then back on set again. Like it was crazy, crazy. Did they know?
4: Did they know? Everybody
3: knew. Yeah, Yeah, that the productions were were, like working in harmony with one another, and like the pickup, like the van for the one would be waiting for me on the other set, so that like,
5: oh uh... jeez.
3: Yeah, and then I would sleep in the van. I would sleep in the makeup trailer. I would sleep between scenes. Just trying to piece it together. It's
1: interesting to hear the. I think these are things that people don't really think about, right? Mm-hmm. You think about acting and it's like glamorized, but there's such a hustle to it. Or at mm-hmm. least that's how you chose to direct yeah, your
3: Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, well, so much of our careers are just driven by this anxiety of not knowing what's next, right? Mm-hmm. And for some people, it's like they can't even fathom what that. And it never goes away. Even I think at a, at a higher level, people are always think that I'm only as good as my last gig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, how what's the next one going to be? It definitely keeps the hustle up, but yeah, it's like... it's very anxiety inducing
4: and I think a lot of times that fear also stops you from doing whatever the next thing is right so you'll Mm -hmm. stay where you are and you'll just Mm -hmm. be complacent because it's accessible and it's successful in some terms right so you just kind of get stuck yeah, I think a lot of our listeners feel that way too with their jobs. Mm-hmm.
3: Even artists get complacent. You think you're already taking such big risks. You've chosen a lifestyle that is so spontaneous and, and whatnot. But I think even artists, even like I guess there's such talented performers in Toronto that I, you know I personally, in my opinion, should have tried to transition to Hollywood or mm-hmm. elsewhere, and and that haven't. Yeah, right. we're faced with that decision constantly. It's not just yeah. like you make it once and then you're like, all right, I'm. I'm brave now right it's like you you really have to keep making that choice But over I think that's also again. why
4: it's so important to have representation right we always talk mm-hmm. about representation mm-hmm. for you to be that person coming out of Toronto and going to Hollywood and showing that it can be done I'm sure a lot of your peers are also looking at you and thinking oh that's a possibility maybe there's a track that I could also take you know? thank
3: you I really really hope so and this whole idea of like representation and embracing platform has been something that I've been thinking a lot about in the last couple of years no coincidence in these last couple of years that I've really I feel like I've become a part of the, you know, the Asian American mm-hmm. or Asian Western Asian community, mm-hmm. you know, hanging out with people like Phil and, and just absorbing what they stood for. And the fight that, you know, he's been fighting with Wong Fu for like 15 years and, and now with you guys. And there's so many more examples now. But it's just this idea that we've been kind of putting our heads down for a little bit too long. And I understand a lot of it's done in the name of humility. We don't want to appear too boastful. That's very much our Asian upbringing kind of like for us to keep humble and Mm -hmm. make it about the work. Or, you know, my parents were always, put your head down and do your work and nobody else will be able to take that away from you. Well, I think there's definite pluses to that mentality, especially growing up at a time where there was a lot more overt racism and discrimination against Mm. us. But now we're at a point where, like it's like the squeaky oil gets the wheel. Yeah, that can and, only get you and so we, far. Exactly. At some point we have hard. to learn to stand up yep. and we have to learn how to build our home here. Mm-hmm. And I kind of started to realize that just how much of my upbringing was influenced by things that were outside of my control and and mm-hmm. just the things that I inherited just by being Asian, mm-hmm. yep. right? And we can go back all the way to things like the Chinese Exclusion Act, mm-hmm. to Japanese internment camps. And while, of course, we didn't experience that directly but i think the cultural zeitgeist of today still bears traces of those memories mm-hmm. you know and yep. there's still vestiges Sorry. even in today yeah i would say the most mundane example is like the sheer frequency that asian actors and actresses and just public figures are misidentified on mainstream media mm. just mm. how difficult it is it to just fact check and make sure that you have the right person. Or right. or how often our mm-hmm. names are misspelled compared to when, you know, white actors or white entertainers or performers right. or public that, figures. Some
4: have long ass last names. Have yeah. Long, yeah.
3: <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> Jake Yelenhall. Yep. Always Scarlett spelled Johansson. correctly, probably. Yeah. yeah, like these are all not very easy names to pronounce. <laughs> right, right. But for some reason... Simu Liu just like fries their brain yeah. and makes it like what what even is that L like U I don't L-U-I, even know to, three what, letters come Luis, on. Yeah. Sumu? Man <laughs> I've gotten it all. I've I've gotten it all.
1: (laughs) So you did speak about kind of like you recognize a deliberate shift into the space where you're starting to represent something greater Mm -hmm. than yourself. How did that happen? Was that with uh, Kim's convenience? Yeah, it was
3: definitely with Kim's convenience and and, then just kind of being thrust into that spotlight Mm. at first and being like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm being asked all these questions, all these like massive questions about how important is representation and and, Mm. like I don't necessarily know how to answer them. And so... At first, I think the inclination is to shy away from that because you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't mm-hmm. know if I if I can adequately answer those questions. But then, what I saw as I looked around was like, okay, okay, if I'm not super comfortable and he's not super comfortable and she's not yeah. super comfortable, who's gonna do it?
5: Yeah, right? mm-hmm.
3: and it was that frustration of like, well, I've never been the kind of guy to just like be a bystander.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And if it's gonna be me for hopefully a short amount of time and then you know more people, then it's something that I'm I'm happy to do. And so it's kind of like this whole, you know, I, I hate to make it about Marvel, but with great power comes great responsibility is such an amazing line. And I feel like if I get to enjoy the benefits of having a platform, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, there, there are definite perks to my position and, and what I do, then there's also a responsibility. So how can I make sure that I'm worthy mm-hmm. of all of that? And I think it's like, in moments where I'm asked to represent and protect Mm -hmm. and uphold our community, that that is something that I have to do. Mm.
4: I think a lot of Asian actors and actresses, when they enter into this space, Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes they make a decision within themselves. Do I play the Asian card or do Mm. I not? Because there Mm -hmm. are a lot of people that I see in Hollywood that don't even talk about being Asian or not mm-hmm. proud of it. But I think it's easier because there aren't power in numbers during mm-hmm. that period of time, right? Mm-hmm. So then it's easy to assimilate into whatever culture Hollywood is already giving you Sure, to sure. Be successful. For
3: certain actors, I feel like if they feel like, you know, in their mind, they have transcended just their ethnicity right. and been like, Lack of a better word, white famous. Right. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen Jay Farrells show called White Famous, but it's it's literally all about his pursuit to oh, that's become great. white famous. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, I'm black famous, black people know who I am, right. but like I want to be Will Smith. I want to be white famous. Yeah.
5: Okay. That's
3: and I mean. um and I feel like some of the actors that you're referring to, I mean it's like once they feel like they've transcended, then they're mm-hmm. like, Well, I don't want to box myself in. Mm-hmm. And why that's never been the case for me is because I was a kid like I showed up in LA I knew nobody and the first person I called was Ken Jong because mm. he uh, we followed each other on Twitter and then we just started you know talking exchanging messages and then I was like hey I'm in LA I don't know what to do really and uh, he was like don't worry I, here's a drive-on pass he was shooting Dr. Ken at the time when she was an exec on and he was like I want you to come anytime you want come to the studio if you have nowhere to go if you're bored, if you feel alone, like come, we'll hang, watch us rehearse, watch us tape, wow. like this, this is the family that I That's extend amazing. to you. Yeah. yeah. And that huge show of faith from him mm-hmm. made it that much easier for me to approach other people mm-hmm. like, you know, like Phil, like Wes. Yes. I was seeing that kindness repaid to me over and over and over again. These people had no relation to me. They have no reason to, you know, go out of their way to help me or to give me the time of day. Mm-hmm. But, they did. And it's really thanks to all of them that I was able to kind of spread roots here and find a home. And I think a big reason of why I'm here right now. So that's why I feel like I will always represent the community. I will never shy away from representing the community because it really is given me so much. That's beautiful. That is yeah. very
5: beautiful. <sighs>
2: A representation for those of you that follow SEMO Instagram we see that you know you're uh, it's all skin yeah <laughs> I think you're trying to represent the Asian what? men you're trying to prove that Asian men are sexy right Asian masculinity is a thing sure fun, f- okay fun fact okay. But the
4: way we started this podcast and I think I've said this before we were all sitting around late night and we were talking about how Asian men are hot Right? Mm-hmm. And then Phil was actually one of the people that said, I never hear that. Like, that is such a right. strange right, thing right. within mm-hmm. this Hollywood entertainment space. He's like, sure. I've never heard that before. You guys should start a podcast and talk about this. So we are saying this right now. Yeah. Asian men are hot.
2: And we can continue
4: with the shirtless pics and why and and it's important.
2: <laughs> what is the reasoning behind you posting a lot of shirtless pics on your Instagram?
3: That's a really good question. I feel like I would do myself a disservice if I said, like, it's for this, like, altruistic reason of like, you yeah. know, the truth is it's changed over time. Okay. I think we all know why we post shirtless pictures. Sometimes we go to the, <laughs> sometimes you go to the gym, you do a good lift. You look in the mirror and you're like, feeling yourself a little bit. Okay. You're like,
2: okay. <laughs>
3: right. um, Pumped up. And of course there is a piece to that. I really, really appreciate you guys, uh, you know, addressing that is that, you know, Asian men are depicted a certain way Mm -hmm. by Western mainstream media in a way that's very, very damaging. And by the way, I think Asian women are depicted in a very different way, but can also be very damaging. So I I think in that way, we're experiencing two different sides of the same problem. Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm saying, oh, Asian men have it the worst. Like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But this is absolutely, you know, a thing that happens. And we all know, for example, that, like, this is just data, but, like, when you look at dating apps for example and you look at you know the people that are swiped on versus the people that are not swiped on it's like asian men fall at the very very bottom mm-hmm. asian women at the very top
5: mm-hmm.
3: now not again like there are unique problems and struggles that both of us face and when I think about masculinity or this concept of masculinity that I get asked about a lot because I'm the guy posting shirtless pictures and so everyone's like well you know okay let's talk about that let's talk about mm-hmm. like can Asian men be sexy are you posting because you want to show sexy Asian and I'm like you know in a way yes but I, I really just wanted to show empowerment and confidence. It's that confidence and self-love mm-hmm. that I feel like was stripped away from us mm-hmm. and that we never had growing up because from day one we were being told long duck dong, breakfast at Tiffany's, like small dorky sidekick, you'll never have a girlfriend. And, and just kind of imagine what kind of internal monologue sets in mm-hmm. after years and years of that, right? So I think a simple message of just like, here's like a bunch of hunky Asian guys is a bit of a, simple overcompensation but it really for me has always just been about comfort in your own skin you don't need to subscribe to these western beauty standards of like a Mm six-pack you know in order to be a man or an asian Mm -hmm. man and to that degree you know asian masculinity should definitely not be about puffing your chest out so that's why i enjoy talking about masculinity because i think especially for us it's such a new concept Asian masculinity nobody, mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody talks about it right. Yeah, and so one of the cool things about it, that is that we can define it we can divorce this idea of masculinity as something that is very like testosterone or closed off, you know, emotionally distant or like abusive, very like, you know, alpha for the sake of being alpha and we can really turn it to more positive messaging like be good with yourself love women respect women, Mm -hmm. respect everybody for whatever their struggle is and and whatever group that they identify in, and to be vulnerable and to be confident in that as well. So, yeah, that's the conversation that I'm interested in having.
1: Is there anyone in kind of the Asian male entertainment space who you admire, who you feel like represents Asian masculinity well?
3: That's a good question. I feel like, I think anybody that's out there and really, I mean, the word that I use a lot is unapologetic. Mm. But I, I look out there and I see, I'll just name drop because they know it. I, I see like Louis Tans and, and Yoshi Sidarso's like the jacks, like people, like, clearly they work out mm-hmm. and are not f- afraid to show that part of themselves. People like Jeff Yang, who are very well-spoken and are very articulate on thoughts of our community, who are unapologetic in offering that. I think mm-hmm. that is what exemplifies that idea of masculinity for me. Now, that being said, why I think ABG is the perfect kind of platform to be talking about this is that, like, masculinity should never be a conversation that just men have with other men. How can we be masculine? How mm-hmm. can we be men? Like, how, I don't know, you tell you tell me. I would love to know, how can we be better allies? Or how can we be just kind of together in this fight, rather than it being more of, like, a, a separate thing? Because I feel like masculinity is such a touchy subject because mm-hmm. there's a small but very vocal minority that are kind of like very toxic and very hostile towards like a lot of people that like there's a lot of misdirected anger mm-hmm. at Asian women for mm-hmm. quote unquote not being better allies or whatever. But really, I mean, to me, I think it's it's absolutely stupid because it's obviously I mean, we're a product of the system that we grow up in our upbringing and so any anger that i think anybody has should be placed towards that and least of all towards our brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so i don't know how do you guys feel about this conversation of masculinity to
5: be
2: honest i think when we had that first conversation when we first started the podcast Mm -hmm. i didn't know this is a thing to be honest, I'm someone that grew up thinking Asian men were hot from the beginning. I never was that girl that wanted Appreciate
3: you. <laughs> no, we try.
2: I try. Um, so when I hear like my other like fellow like Asian male friends talk about like I don't feel desired mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. these things, I'm just like, what? Like how? how like why? I, I think you're hot. or Like, you know, I I don't understand that. But I think just having that conversation opens the doors to understanding each other. I think in a way like Asian community. Yeah, we feel like we get each other. We're there to support. But then if you were to divide us up into male and females, do we actually know each other really. I don't know because mm-hmm. I don't think we have these conversations with our male right, friends right, mm-hmm. I mean we, yeah we brought on some fuck boys to like you know call them out on their bullshit but like that's just like a male and female conversation but like Asian male Asian female I think that's something we're starting with this conversation to really understand each other.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, I hope so. Because here's the thing. I totally know that there are struggles of -hmm. of being an Asian female that I am completely not privy to. And I would like to know because I would like to be a better ally. And I would like to champion that just as much.
2: It's interesting because if you think about the difference with Asian male and Asian female is that we're on the opposite ends. Like Asian mm -hmm. females, we get sexualized. Mm -hmm. Asian male, you don't get sexualized. So in a sense, we're fighting different fights. Mm -hmm. right? Like you're trying to get more sexualized, we're trying to
1: like be desexualized in a sense by society in a sense, right? I like the point that you made about Asian males have the opportunity now to redefine masculinity, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think like as someone who's dated all different types of cultures, Mm -hmm. I think the stereotype is that the masculinity is about not being emotional, not being in touch with your emotions. And oftentimes I think that Asian men, if they're looked upon as very soft, Mm -hmm. that's something you can flip and take as an advantage, that you have high emotional EQ, right? Mm -hmm. If you can be softer, more emotional, more empathetic, make that masculine mm-hmm. like so that would be one direction I would encourage I guess no absolutely I, I, should, sorry, I agree with you because I think like if you think
2: about even just being an Asian person like we're not taught to really show our emotions say I love you and all these things and I think a lot of our men like even just seeing how some of my like, like my cousin and stuff, like they're not really vulnerable
1: with their feelings and mm-hmm. vocal about it, but you need to be, right? But then I think in, if you look at like pop culture within mm-hmm. like Asian culture for guys, like they are softer, right? Or like yeah. there's a lot of like entertainment that's targeted towards being more emotional or more emotive. Maybe it's out, out of being more like repressed culturally. Yeah. I don't know.
3: I don't know. I, I feel like we're in a, a cool place where there's been a lot of messaging coming out of, of all sorts of different types of men, mm-hmm. whether they are more I guess what you would say soft or whether Mm -hmm. they're they're harder I mean I think you could be like you're really alpha but you can be really vulnerable with your emotions at the same time so I don't know necessarily if we're more soft so to speak have you ever faced criticism from those within your own community
2: about being an Asian woman or
3: like what do you mean yeah
2: I think
4: that goes back to like the term abg the original Mm -hmm. acronym right asian Mm -hmm. baby girl i Mm -hmm. think that was always a stereotype towards like asian women who are Mm -hmm. who feel a little bit more like sexy and playing into this like baby girl like submissive kind of cutesy vibe Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. always the thing that i feel like we grew up with i guess for me it's maybe a little bit different in hollywood because hollywood always depicted asian women as the one that is overtly sexualized versus Mm -hmm. when in school i was like the white guys don't like me, so same, it's, a, it's yeah. a little bit different from like oh, is yeah. that the Hollywood transfer into your regular life? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't know if it did for me. Mm-hmm. That's for a, a wild really point.
1: I would say I shared that same perspective. I always felt like the nerd, super quiet, super awkward. Like, like no one likes no me. No one's gonna like you. Yeah,
4: yeah. And I wonder actually for you, like as, as an Asian man, mm-hmm. did, did Hollywood's depiction of what an Asian man should be actually transfer into your regular life as a kid growing up? Yeah, absolutely. In Toronto,
3: absolutely. Yeah. Every single, I mean, every single Asian guy will tell you that. It did. I'm I'm confident to say. I think Mel brought it up earlier, but you were like one of your Asian friends was like, I never thought of myself as desirable, Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. that like that confidence that if you were just like a well-adjusted kid growing up, that you would just innately have because some people will like you, some people won't, but like you'll generally just be you know you'll be for lack of a better term normal. Mm -hmm. But for us, we just like never knew what it was like to have that confidence. We just grew up without it. And I've chosen to see it as it was taken from us based on the media, based mm-hmm. on what they, what they put out. What I do now with, yes, like with shirtless pictures, but really just with being unapologetically mm-hmm. out there yeah. and not being afraid to take up space is reclaiming it. And hopefully showing Asian brothers and sisters that that space can be reclaimed. You can learn to stand up tall. You don't have to just because you've been you've had your head down up until this point doesn't mean you have to keep going. And, and it's great like I've faced tons of backlash from within the community which is I think okay I think it's it's part really? of a conversation yeah. but um, from I think both sides from like men who are like he's too soft or women who say you know he appeals too much to the like male rights activist mm. part of like you know, Asian masculinity or toxic masculinity, I should say.
4: We think you're doing everything that you should be doing just fine. Clearly, it's gotten you to very great places, right?
5: Thank you.
4: So it's probably just because the landscape is not there yet. And like you said, you're helping to redefine what that Mm -hmm. term really does mean. And I think that's great. The way that you're portraying it is not in a toxic way. It does Mm. show the softer side, the empathetic side, the side that is loving and appreciative and respective of women. And I think that's important. So thank, thank you. you for doing that for yeah, our ABVs out there.
3: I think it's so important just to continue. Like you said, it's it's just to continue being open to having these conversations and to be open to seeing and hearing different viewpoints, mm-hmm. which this is such a cookie cutter way to, to, I think, wrap up. But at the same time, it's like because we live in an age where it's just like 280 characters and you just like sometimes you just want to sound off because you're on a keyboard and maybe you're feeling a little angry and, and you just like. I'm going to have a mic drop moment. Like yeah. that doesn't beget conversation. It doesn't beget mm-hmm. depth mm-hmm. Or, or true growing and understanding. So it's better to sit around a table and, and talk like this. Yeah. I have a question, though. Did you grow up in primarily Asian spaces?
4: I grew up in with mostly very just ethnic, like inner city right, type right, right. schools. And then it wasn't until high school that I got took an exam and got into like a placement school. Still a public mm-hmm. school, though. And then it was mostly Asian. Got it, got yeah. it. And then in college, I was the president of the Chinese Students Association. Asian, <laughs> <laughs> Asian from then on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I grew up in Orange County, so yeah, there was not a lot of Asian people. Right, there. So right. I always felt othered or like lesser than. But then when I started dating, I started dating Asian people. And it mm-hmm. was because I had cousins that lived in like SGV areas. So mm-hmm, on the weekends, mm-hmm. I'd go there and it would be like, these are people like me. And then mm-hmm. on weekdays, I go back and it's like people like not like me. And I'm, I'm lesser sure. than or I'm not like desirable. That's so, so. interesting. A weird dynamic
3: i definitely had like a, a self-hating phase where i was like you know what i'm not gonna date asian oh, I, I don't want to date mm. asian women like, b- because it was so much like oh i didn't want to be seen that way or mm. like i just hated that part of myself so i wanted mm. to run away from it and i think we've all had that experience to varying degrees but then yeah like i hit a point hopefully i think obviously all of you guys did that was just like no this is awesome yeah, like our heritage is awesome the fact that our parents sacrificed everything to come here and overcame crazy odds is awesome and, and that to me just defines our identity and, and it's so cool to be able to have these conversations that define our identity I'm in a much better place with it now
4: we chose to appreciate and love ourselves I think there are a lot of self-hating Asians yeah. mm-hmm. out there and mm-hmm. we chose it before it became a sexy thing mm. which now it is to be Asian in entertainment in, in Hollywood but I would, yeah, and I would
1: also say it is helpful to be more open-minded because there definitely have been times where I feel like I don't belong in one, but I also don't belong in the other, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not white enough and you're not Asian enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing that I love that I'm seeing about the growth of the community and how things are changing is that yeah. there is a wider embrace of different types of backgrounds. Right? Being Asian means many, many different mm-hmm. things.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: So, I know for young Asian boys in school, a lot of them would be picked on because the easy thing would be to say, like, oh, Asians have small dicks. Mm-hmm, right. And mm-hmm. I feel like for an Asian man that's just kind of still growing, it's like, yeah. oh, no, is that true? I don't know.
3: Yeah. They basically neutered us without even knowing anything about yeah. us. And um... did you ever drop
4: your pants and just show <laughs>
3: I, sh- I didn't want to get expelled. <laughs> I was too busy being like a relatively high achieving <laughs> Asian kid. No, I think you, you hit the nail on the head and we didn't kind of address it sooner because it's an uncomfortable topic just because it's a completely untrue, but for some reason is so pervasive. Yeah. It's like, it's like hand in hand, like Asian men, da, da, da. da. Yeah. That's what, like, I I find so infuriating. I was witnessing a bar fight in K-Town the other day between a white guy and an Asian guy. And it was, like, the last thing that the guy said. Just, just, you know, and he was drunk, so whatever. But, like, still, like, that's the thing that he holds up. Mm. Yeah, but, like, you got a tiny dick. Mm. And that's that last knife, Mm, you know, that's that, like, he just really wanted to get that in there. Growing up with that just feels like the whole world at any point could just, like, Thrust that knife oh, in you yeah, and twist yeah, yeah. it any way that yeah. they that they wanted. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know what it like. I don't know. I like, did I grow up thinking that maybe everybody else had like penises down to their knees? <laughs> I was like, you know, I think like, mine looks pretty normal. I don't know, like, what kind of dicks are you guys walking yeah. around with? It wasn't until much much later that like. And that's, that's the thing, like over time or over, I guess, experience or whatever, you kind of learn. Or if somebody's, you know, a partner says something and you're like, oh, okay, okay, cool, 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 cool.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's just like, yeah, like, ladies, have you. <laughs> let's I just put it out there. let was talk about yeah, it. Yeah, from my personal sizes.
1: experience, it's not, yeah, that is not, a, or it is definitely a myth. Size varies across all different ethnicities. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. not, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jen, Janet would know of the three of us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, most I was experience. Like,
2: mm hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I personally, I'm not a size queen. Size
1: queen. <laughs> it's, it is a term. That's true, too. Size is not the thing that matters the mm-hmm. most, right? Yeah.
2: So I don't know. I, I disagree. I don't think this is a true myth at all. I'm yeah. the only Asian men, so I don't know. I have nothing to compare it to, to yeah. be honest. Oh, okay. Well, is yeah. it like pornography. Well, yeah, true. What,
3: yeah, porn? porn is not the best, uh, porn- I yeah, reference point. I think everybody it. feels yeah. bad when they yeah. watch <laughs> porn. They're just like, huh.
1: I'm not looking for, like, a 12-inch dick either, though. You know what I mean? Like. Oh, a yeah, pol- yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's not the thing that like women would find attractive but even if it were it yeah. is not true that yeah. Asian men have small dicks yes. I would say yes. is the that's room. a conclusion yes. I would agree with that too
3: I appreciate that is there a as like a sexual stereotype about Asian women that's, uh, that's also like you get really frustrated with or?
2: <sighs> what did someone say to me the other day
4: oh you mentioned someone about like high pitched voices
1: or something like that
2: my last, um, my old coworker, she was like, oh, don't you like moan, like those Japanese pornos? I'm like, oh, I, that you
1: become like that really dainty, yeah. like, easily stimulated kind of thing. Well,
2: not that. That's fine. But it's like, <laughs> it's more like, well, you know how like, you watch Japanese porn and the girls are like yeah. screaming like they're hurting in pain and just like over oh. the top.
1: A really dramatic yeah. kind of
2: And I was like, no, we don't all sound like that.
3: Does, any, I was like, Does anybody want to <laughs> Like someone touches you Demonstrate?
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> no. no. I mean, I'm pretty I sure. can't do
3: it because I don't have the vocal register.
2: <laughs> I can't do it. Either, <laughs> Otherwise, but I would try. I'm pretty sure, like, you know. I think it's more. Oh, oh sorry. This is a stereotype. For Asian women, based, they're like saying, like, oh, we're not very active in bed. Like, we just lie there um, and like.
1: Submissive. Submissive. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. that is Like totally, starfish? Yes. I don't think that's true. That's I don't not that. think that's true.
2: Like, not true at all. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's, like, something I think we, women face. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that true for you?
5: No, no, yeah, no, absolutely perception. not. <laughs> or, absolutely not Or true.
4: from, like, other dudes that you've talked to, other bros, that are no. like, oh, yeah, Asian women are always,
3: what? Uh, Nope, uh, I wouldn't, I I haven't heard too much. Uh, I hear, and I, mean, and like, I would say, um, like, that, that. that specifically is definitely not true.
2: Well, I guess another stereotype we have being Asian women is, like, we have small boobs. I mean, I have small boobs, so I could say that's an insecurity I actually face. So, I don't know. You guys are more bigger than me. So. <laughs> <laughs> now I'll
4: just keep staring at our boobs. Right? I know, I know.
1: I live with, like,
2: this.
4: What do you
5: guys I say what you guys, what to do that? You, what do I say to that?
2: Um...
4: I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's generally, like, I think yeah. petit, more petite, right? Yeah. But Like, um...
2: I take comfort when a guy goes and I go and ask him, are you more of an ass guy or a boob guy? He goes, ass? I'm like, yes. Well, yeah, I like yeah. I like
4: ass more because ass is a muscle that you can actually work on, too, mm. to, like, build. And a muscular booty is, is great. Yeah, but you can't do anything about your boobs, I guess. I don't know. I don't know.
3: I guess you could, you could yeah, if you, you could. had money. Yeah, you know we talk all day about yeah, like the, the penis size or whatever. But like, so what? This idea that like that is somehow tied into your worth as a man or your worth as a woman is so stupid yeah. and so troglodyte that like Ooh. you just have to. Big word.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I don't know that one. That was my uh, word of the
3: day. So what's you know troglodyte. Troglodyte. It's just like very Neanderthal, very like oh. just primitive. I see. Troglodyte. And that we need to obviously we need to we need to move past that but also like these stereotypes are harmful and and yeah. untrue
4: yeah it's also kind of weird for another guy to be like your dick is small like okay did you yeah watch yeah me pee it's or, about like, power
3: it's to... about it's about power and it's about like even if you're you know a, you're a white guy with a tiny penis you still like have that yeah you, you know you can still
4: claim feel something feel
3: like you can claim it just yeah. because of the stereotype or just right. because you can invoke that for some reason i think is really is, is pretty pretty terrible and Troglodyte. And Troglodyte. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
2: we're gonna jump right into it. Obviously, everyone knows now you're our new superhero, your Marvel Shang-Chi. How does it feel to be our first Asian superhero?
3: I think it's like first Asian title superhero in the MC. because there's there's others, mm-hmm. there's been others before me. There's Benedict Wong who plays Wong. Oh, yes? mm-hmm. There's well, Randall plays Jimmy Wu, who's like you know a Shield agent. There have been uh, Chloe Bennett, Ming Na Wen. Like there have been others before me, and and, and I want to pay respect to that. But I also, you know, I understand this is a big moment. It Honestly, I can't even describe what it felt like to get that phone call. And I just feel like in the two months since I got that phone call, I'm still living that high. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that high will ever go away. I mean, I feel like I've won like the lottery of all lotteries. Really just truly like privileged and honored to be in this position and like ready to just get to work. You know, I feel like... There's been a lot of like talk about stuff. I'm ready to just kind of shut it all away and and get down to it.
2: How do your parents feel now? I think you know, going through Deloitte, getting laid off, and now like and hiding at, all this Spider Man, right? Hiding all that <laughs> stuff, and now getting like a really incredible role. Like, what were yeah. your parents' reactions? Yeah, to
3: they're it? they're so happy, and and I can feel like just an improvement in their mood too. Just because I know like. My mom in in particular is someone who expects so much of herself and and at the she brings a lot of work home with her and not just like the physical work but the anxiety mm. and the frustrations and so we were having lunch the other day and she was like I just don't care anymore. She's like, I don't care if my boss gets too much credit or if I don't, you know, like, yeah, I'm not, like, well-represented in a meeting or I don't say the things I want to say. Like, I just don't care anymore. I'm just going to retire. My my kid is Shang-Chi. She literally said that. Wow. Just for me to be able to kind of give that Jesus. to her. And, and, and you know, they were even talking about retiring early, potentially. Oh. Like, that's, you know... if. It's all I've ever wanted to do. So it really has been amazing for all of us. I will say they probably read online comments a little bit more than they should. As we know, I think a lot of a lot of our parents are very overbearing, but it's because they care. They yeah. really, really deeply care. But, <laughs> you know, obviously there's been, you know, there is a very vocal minority uh, of, of people, mostly from China, who are not excited about shang and and for whatever variety of reasons, some of it having to do with me, some of it having nothing to do with me, but uh, my parents have basically read all of it, and I'm like, don't worry, we just need, like, we just need the movie to come out, yeah. it's gonna be great, mm-hmm. we'll win them over.
2: Changing the topic slightly, we all watched Black Panther, mm-hmm. it was a huge movie for the black community, like, do you feel a sense of weight or pressure, I guess to do the same for the Asian community?
3: Weight, yeah, pressure, no. I feel the weight of it because I feel, i want to quote Hamilton here, but I, I feel like history has its eye on our project. I feel like there is something special about it, but do I feel pressure? I, I don't think it's pressure. I think it's like it's privilege. I don't know. It's it's just this amazing feeling of like we get to we get to do this. Yeah. There isn't a doubt in my mind that we can do it and execute on every level. I mean, I mean, everybody that I've met, whether it's Marvel or our project specifically, has just been absolutely phenomenal. We're all on the same page with where what this person want, you know ought to represent or what the movie ought to represent, and there's really just no doubt in my mind that it will it will be big yeah
4: Yeah. it's gonna be huge we're like super that's that's that unapologetic
3: confidence that i'm talking about right like we don't we don't have time Mm -hmm. we don't have time to second guess. we can't afford to have those thoughts right now in this moment of our in this juncture of our culture like we need to charge forward yeah onto the breach
4: so now you're like sitting on cloud nine you're literally people see you as like an invincible type person what are some things that keep you up at night what are some insecurities that our
3: Asian Marvel superhero has? This is a deep question. <laughs> um. Oh my God. How much time do you have? Uh, my face is too wide. My eyes are too small. My my my. Uh, um, um, my legs <laughs> no. are too short. Um, These are all the, so the, the those Chinese are all just things like, that you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Chinese <laughs> things, things that China. my mom made me very, very. My mom especially makes me very aware of.
5: <laughs> Your legs are too short. You gave them to me. me. That's your fault. This is your fault.
3: (laughs) On a bigger scale, I think it's, you know, of course, like I mentioned earlier, it's about what comes next. Mm -hmm. And my dream, like my number one dream, the one thing that I thought would never happen in a million years was to get to play a superhero in the MCU. So having reached that now, how am I going to... Mm. where do I go from here for mm. me? How do I continue to set goals and um, continue to, you know, represent the community and, and break barriers? And, and and also just, like, how am I going to just, like, do laundry? How will life change? <laughs> um, you These know, are things as, as that things our things are superheroes are worried about, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. laundry. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is a, it's a real it's thing. Like, of, yeah, like, you know, that. obviously, I've been given such a tremendous opportunity and it, it's such a privilege to be in this position. But obviously, there is going to be some things that change with my life and and yes we need to be ready to you know change our lives for the better at any point but there will be a sense of mourning for the life that i had before Mm -hmm. this like you know simpler time when maybe like things were a little bit more manageable and i think when that movie comes out there will be a part of that life that can't happen anymore yeah Mm -hmm. and so there's there's a bit of a somber thought of that but i mean again how often how often do we get this oh yeah and how often will i get to do this in my life so with all of that in mind i still will gladly report to work on the first day will gladly report to training and will give everything i can to make sure that this movie is is the most successful that it can be
4: i think you are the the perfect candidate the perfect person to have been picked for this movie and we all the whole community is incredibly supportive and and backing up for this so
2: yeah we're super excited for you yeah we'll all be assembling to watch the movie Ah, oh, you
5: got
4: so we're going to do a quick game here just to wrap this up we're going to play a game of would you rather <laughs> all right okay you know to go first sure would you rather uh-huh. be an accountant again or have this movie tank Oh, my God.
3: If I do it, it, the movie definitely tanks. Yeah, if you already know that's going to tank. (sighs) I would be an accountant. This movie (gasps) needs to do well.
5: It's more important than me.
2: That's that's, weight.
3: That's the weight and (laughs) possibly the pressure.
2: Okay, next question. Would you rather dump someone or be dumped?
3: Oh, oh, these are so... These these are hard. (laughs) Having having been on the side of both, I will... uh, by a very slim margin to dump someone, I think, to, to, to be the one instigating. Okay. But, but it still, it sucks either way.
4: Okay. Um, would you rather eat shit-flavored chocolate or chocolate-flavored
3: shit? Shit-flavored chocolate. Good answer. Because it'd still be, <laughs> it'd still be it's ch- still chocolate. <laughs> it'd still be chocolate.
1: All right. Next question. Would you rather have your soulmate or dream job?
3: I would rather have my dream job because my soulmate should be me. I don't mean that in like a narcissistic way, but like self-love, you should be—you should be yeah. good with yourself. Like you should not ask for somebody to complete you. Okay. So I would rather have my dream job.
2: That's a pretty good answer. Okay, um, would you rather have finger-sized nipples or nipple-sized fingers? Uh,
3: uh, uh finger-sized nipples, because then you could hide them a little bit better. <laughs> And and I and I feel like they wouldn't impact your everyday because I think if you had nipple-sized fingers, you would like it would be so hard to even pick up a can of soda. Yeah.
4: But what if you? I mean, you had to be shirtless for this movie, and everyone <laughs> <laughs> your finger-sized nipples. Oh,
3: you green screen post production. You can de-age someone like 50 years these days. You think they can't remove massive nipples? We took out Ken- Henry Cable's mustache. That we just cg would it off his face. Dang. So you know,
5: okay. we <laughs> All could right. do anything.
4: Last question here. Would you rather have a one-minute conversation with your past self or your future self?
3: Future self. Why? Because I don't I don't know anything about him. I would, I would learn more from future self. Mm. Great
1: answers. Okay. Well, that wraps today's episode. Thank you so much,
2: Simu, Thank for you. being with us. This was fun. You can go catch him on Kings of Unions on Netflix or Marvel Shanchi in 2020? 21.
3: One. Oh, my God. February 2021.
2: That's 9, 10, 30, by the way. Sorry. Uh, the plug-in for myself. The plug in. <laughs> plug for Mel's thirty. birthday. <laughs> so when I turn thirty in twenty
1: twenty-one, that's when changing comes out in February.
5: Boom,
3: done.
1: And until then, you can continue to find ABG on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify and all of the other broadcasting platforms. Uh, we're on social as well. Handle at Asian Boss Girl, and you can find Simu at what Instagram handle?
3: Simu Liu. L i u. L i u. S i m u. L i u. Yes. Yeah.
4: Thank you, Simu, for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye!